Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Welcome back, listeners. I'm here today with Mira O'Connell and Will Goudoulet for Ergo Grips, which is really exciting for me. I love talking about entrepreneurship. So uh, thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Kenzie. Thank you. I'm excited. So um, I'd love to start off actually with both of your backgrounds too um, and the story of Ergo Grips because a lot of people might not know the origin story. Right. Well, um, we'll give our backgrounds first. I'm Mira O'Connell and um, my father started the company in 1998. So he's Steve Hines. He's still with us, but he's um, retired from the company in 2019 when I took over. But prior to that, I had done over 15 years as a police officer, law enforcement in, in New Mexico. Worked mainly for the Albuquerque Police Department where I was a sergeant. And um, I actually left that, I early outed to come and take over for dad so he could retire. So um, that was, but I was always kind of integral. It was always a big part of my life, I should say. Um, I went to four shot shows, I think from 2004 to 2008. 2008 was the last shot show I went to before I, I came on full time. So we would go and help. Back then, we used to sell at SHOT shows. So we would do a lot of merchandise, uh, me and my cousin and different family members. Um, as I told you before, I was one of the first employees of Ergo in 1999. I was the bookkeeper for two years. So I lived up the road from my dad, and he just had the, the shop in the back of his house. He built this like little airplane hanger that he bought online and had a kit that he built. And that became the first ergo shop and him and the two neighbor boys. And then my, my son's father and me and my stepmom and my dad were all the first employees. And the guys would be out in the shop making, hand molding all the materials and grinding them and finishing them. And then my stepmother would pack them up and I would do the books. And um, we were so thrilled every time we got an order in. It was so exciting, but I still I still review every order that comes through my inbox, and it's still just exciting. I look at every order and still get that same spark that, you know, we're doing something and we're providing quality products to people that need them, want them, and, and are useful to them. Absolutely. Um, my that. son also works at the company, and he's, you know, it's, so it's a family company, and so he uh, does, he's our marketing rep, so you'll see him on the videos, he goes out to events, shows, uh, holds events at different places, shops. Cool, okay. So if retailers want to do an event, they can, and they're in our area, geographic area within driving distance, he'll go over there, and he can do a day event where he does giveaways and things like that. Very cool, very cool. And Will? Hey, buddy. Okay, and uh, my name's Will Goulet. Uh, I'm the manager of machining and design here at Ergo. Uh, I grew up in the shooting sports, probably have been on the range since I was about five years old. Uh, I did everything from uh, starting off uh, small bore shooting into high power shooting, 
eventually into pistol shooting, action pistol, IDPA, USPSA. Uh, a good chunk of my competitive career was in uh, I-Corps shooting, which is competitive revolver shooting. Um, did a lot of that into uh, early adulthood. Eventually, I crossed paths with Steve about 10 years ago and uh, got hooked up with them and uh, been, been happy ever since. That's awesome. And you so get the bug. The president, but what's your position? The manager of machine design. Did you say that? I did. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I missed it. No, I love that. So, I mean, going back to like, why, why did Steve start the business and, and what were those beginning years like for Ergo, like getting started? When was like the takeoff point? Well, it was really interesting because my father, um, he always was a gunsmith. He actually was a licensed gunsmith for many years in the 80s. He had a little gunsmithing shop in Canyon, Texas, where I was born. And he was raised since he was five till he moved to New Mexico in 1993. And um, he loved guns and cars. So he him and his brother built cars all the time. They're always rebuilding and wrecking cars and then rebuilding them. And so he decided to go into car business and he owned an auto parts store called Steve Auto Parts in Canyon, Texas. And, um, but he was always dabbling with machining at the time at home or when he had weekends or something like that. He was always, he's a dabbler. He, he loved to call himself an ergonomic engineer um, because he constantly was coming up with ideas about how to do things better, how to make things, rebuild things. And he, um, left the auto parts business, you know, it's hard to be a small business in a small town. And he went to start repping companies. He got his master, his a bachelor's degree in industrial arts from West Texas State College, which is now West Texas University in Canyon, Texas. And then he started his master's in industrial arts, but he didn't quite finish it. But he started working for these different auto parts reps, Federal Mogul, Champion Sparks Plug, all these companies but he called it his two-year career so every two years he would get laid off and he would have to go find another company that's when he'd go to federal mogul or he or he went to you know whichever company would hire him and they tended to really um increase his um jurisdiction or his territories that he was doing sales repping for so he would go to an auto parts store in like truth or consequences new mexico and he would make sure that they needed what they needed to reorder, just like a pharmaceutical rep. And he would um, visit all these guys and they would always give him feedback. And he got tired of getting laid off. So when he was in one of the stores, I can't remember where it was, maybe um, up in Colorado somewhere. And they said, you know, you should come up with a, uh, a pistol grip that's for, for a, a rifle that's, you know, not, not the standard pistol grip. Um, you could probably say more about that. Yeah, I actually put some notes down for that. So at some point, somebody approached him and they said, hey, there's this really expensive German rifle, PSG-1, um, German sniper rifle from the 80s. Uh, very, very nice rifle, very unique grip on that rifle. And that grip, you can still get it today. It's, it's an extremely expensive grip. It's all handmade wood They're to the tune of about three or $400. Um, and somebody said, hey, you should make one here in the United States just like it. Uh, and you know what? You should make it for the AR-15. Out of polymer. Yeah. Out of something that's not handcrafted wood. 
So that's when he took the dive into grips. Well, he was already doing, he was called the Meyer Works, and he would do um, butternut knife bolt handles for Mausers. Uh, Mandelicker Schonauer. Mandelicker, yeah. Uh, old bolt action rifle. So it was a, a custom bolt handle um, for hunting rifles. Neat. And that was really the bulk of what he was doing at the time. Um, he was doing this hand casting, which is called investment casting. Investment yeah, so casting. he was investment casting and then finished machining these bolt handles. And that was uh, just with his customer base and working with people like that is how he got this idea from somebody. Hey, so there's this really expensive grip that really nobody can have and they only make it for the one rifle. Um, but it would be an excellent target grip for the consumer market here in the States for the HK91s, but also the AR-15. So in the investment casting, he was doing metals. So this would be, this was a little different. But he did kind of similar in the investment casting from what I remember because it was in his little room. He had these little, it was wax and he would chip away at the wax and he'd form it with like tools and scrape it. And then um, that's kind of how he would find what, what, what he wanted to make the mold out of. Whereas with the injection molding, it was a little different. And he had these molds built that were they were two part molds and then you put them together and then you poured you mix the polymers and you poured them in then you put these rubber bands around them and they would form the hand molded these over molded grips that was kind of unique um i don't believe anybody was doing over molded before dad got into it that, that i know of that has stayed around at least everybody was doing that hard polymer kind of like these these msr grips everything was hard polymer so he was really he was really the first one that I know that did this tacky kind of surface that we always we used to say was more like a the racer head, the end of a racer. Yeah. And so that was unique. So not only just the design was needed, but also that tacky, what we called he uh, got a trademark on called sure grip, that that tacky kind of grip, so that it wasn't just, which really helps if you're sweaty or if you're in the elements or anything like that that you can still keep that sure grip and you, you can keep a hold of your gun and have a confident grip anytime you, whether you're on the range or if you're deploying tactically as an officer or a military service member. And so it was a very unique thing that came to market. And so he started out in 1998 with hand molding these grips with a design patent for the ergo grip. And that's our, which one is it? 4011? 4011? So the current product that would represent that is our 4011. 4011. It's our classic Ergo Grip in the Sure Grip texture. Uh, the original part number was uh, 4000 and 4001, 4005. It's had several generations of that same grip, but functionally, cosmetically, um, it is still the same grip. Yeah, we have about five grips that design wise are very similar. They just have different texture. So one has aggressive texture, 4009. Um, the extreme texture, the 4007. So, um, but we've kept with the general similar design. And um, so in the beginning, it was very labor intensive to do these hand molding because um, they'd have to be molded and they'd have flashing and you'd have to grind them down or dremel them or whatever you had to do. So eventually in, I remember it was a big deal when he bought his, he bought his first injection mold, you know, 
And uh, it was ex really expensive back then. And I always joke, it's like, I'd really love to pay those prices now. But, uh, <laughs> but it was like, you know, it was a big deal. It was a big risk for him. Um, you know, the whole company was a big risk for him, you know, to, to something kind of outside of his comfort zone, not getting a paycheck. And uh, he really, he took a plunge. And we're also glad that he did. <laughs> but so he started um, injection molding them. And then, then that could give us, you know, it's more efficient process. It gives, gives uh, you know, our employees more time that they don't have to do these hand finishing and things like that. But we still hand molded some products until like 2010 or something. Yeah. Wow. Um, we don't hold any products anymore because it's so time consuming, but we were still doing some in-house up until, you know, not, too, not that long ago, but um, so that's kind of, and, you know, just like from the very beginning, he took feedback from people and that's how we've kind of grown all of our um, product line is feedback from people, ideas from different people getting, um, we get lots of ideas, of course, you know, ideas take time and money, so we can't run with every one of them, but, um, we have a lot of in-house ideas. We're constantly working on new, I, new products to come out. We, we come out with three to five products every year, new products. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You got to keep innovating. Um, so, so going back to like when he got started, was there a specific product that launched him or like, how did he get the word out that he was in business making these grips? Was there a point of, you know, that scalability that finally clicked, you know, with the market? Well, I mean, it's always, it was always the ergo grip in the beginning. Um, you know, one of our catchphrases years ago was it all started with the grip. Um, we have, you know, now we're called ergo because we do a lot more than just grips. So even though it will always be known the home of the ergo grip, we've definitely expanded a lot. So it's definitely the ergo grip that came, you know, started his, his, I have some of the old, old, um, cause we used to be called Falcon Industries and then we um, changed over to ergo, ergo Industries, ergo grip, it's our name now. But um, so some of the old catalogs, they were all grips in the beginning. And then he came out with, what was his first, um, he had forward grips also. We still sell some of our legacy um, products like the pop bottle, the broom handle forward grip. And so in the beginning it was all grips and uh, our tactical light switch was from the very beginning. We still carry that, but it's only for a few models. And that's a very commonly misunderstood product. Um, it's only for like the original and the second generation sure light. Surefire light, but yeah. a lot of places don't put that on their um, profile when they sell them, and so people mispurchase those a lot. So, but um, that was one of the beginning ones. Um, he did a lot with the military and police. Obviously, I'm I was a police officer at the time. He worked with our SWAT team to get ideas, and and he would give them, you know, promo items to get their feedback. And then uh, my brother was in the military for 13 years, and then. He did um, contract for a few years after that. So about 15 years of that. So my brother still has one of the original Argo grips. I think he's had it on his gun for 18 years. That's awesome. <laughs> so cool. That's, you know, we have the you know, limited lifetime warranty because we're not making these things be disposable. They're, they're meant to last. So that's one of our things we're very committed to is high quality 
good customer service, made in the USA products. We work very hard, even like our small items that they're made in the USA. That's, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Um, one thing I want to share too is, is my mom is, is a business owner. So when I was 16, I was working in her flower shop. When she was 16, she was working in her mom's flower shop. So that's that background. But it reminds me of your story a little bit. Like, what, did you kind of grow up going to work with your dad, watching him in the in the backyard, I guess, in the building and seeing, I mean, were you packaging and shipping and learning all of those things? Or did you even realize you were learning them? Well, I think my son grew up coming here on breaks and summer and stuff like that. He'd be in the machine shop bothering them <laughs> when he was a kid. Um, so we always knew that my son was going to be a part of the company. I didn't necessarily think I was going to become a part of the company. You know, I could have got my pension at 20 years and retired. Um, but I, I, like I said, it was a choice I made to, to help with the family. Um, you know, my son's only 23, so he's not quite ready to take over the company, <laughs> but I'm telling him in 12 years, you better be now, <laughs> but, um, no, so he's, um, he really, he always really wanted to be a part of it. And he was constantly bugging and, you know, he wanted to come work at Papa's shop when he get older. And then eventually he did. Um, we, um, but no, I, I would go to SHOT Show and help and things like that, but I never was really involved in coming over here and working at the shop. I just went to the shows and stuff, except for the very beginning. But I think I was trying to figure out when things really took off. I actually have a historical timeline, but, um, you know, obviously 2013 was huge for us. Like a lot of people in the industry, that was really a huge year for us. But I think in the um, late, when... We moved to Moriarty in the building we're currently at, um, our, our manufacturing building. We've been here since 2007 or eight. About that, one yeah. of those two years. Actually, it's eight because I just was looking at the lease. But um, it is, this is when we really had started taking off is when we came over here. Um, we have, one of our employees has been with us 15 years. He's in his 16th year. Another one, um, she's been, she's in her 15th year. Uh, then we have 12 year wills 10 i mean we we try to keep employees for a, a while i mean of course we've lost some great ones along the way to for for various reasons they had to move they went to other in, uh, other companies things like that but we try to have a real culture of family even though they might not be blood i always say you know it's it's they're still family it's part of our company family and um but i would say in the late 2000s really things started um uh, taking off for us, you know, my dad and, and Rich, Rich Fitzpatrick were really good friends and, the, and they were always good friends. Um, and so they did a lot together in the beginning. Uh, Rich actually took my dad to his first shot show. And so we've been to, well, we didn't go last year because nobody did. So last, in 2019, that was our 19th shot show that we went to. So we've been going since 2000. Um, so I think that that was really big and a lot of you know the people that he made connections with, we still do business with a lot of them to this day. And um, you know, he, um, he was just constantly working on, he loved to make new products. So then he left kind of marketing and sales to other people because he loved to be in the shop. He loved to create new products and he'd still do it old school. He didn't do CADs and things like that. He would get his modeling clay and- Modeling clay. Bondo, plywood. No way. Yeah. Any dream of anything you would you would make a craft out of uh, at home. That's 
that's what he was working with. That was his style. Yeah, and so dad has 18 patents in his name. Um, he's got another eight patents that he co pat he co-invented with someone else that he's listed as the co-inventor. So he was constantly, I mean, his last patent was awarded in 20, um, like 18, I think it's 2018. So he was still really we active. Did, we did one when you started. Yeah, it just comes through. Yeah. It takes a while to get him through patent and process stuff. So it came through in 2019. So I think it was started in 2018, his last one that he was actively involved in. And then when he retired, we, we made one of our grips, this is the 4093, it's a rigid, 17 angle, uh, 17 degree angle, um, hard polymer grip. We called it Shine's grip as his like memorial grip, as his legacy grip. So there are a lot of them are his legacy grip, but we wanted to give him one name and and he uh, picked that one. So he, he's, um even though he's not here, he doesn't come in anymore. He's still very much a big part of um, the spirit of this company. And I, I hope he always, we, we help his legacy always live on. Yeah, it's a generational business for sure. It, it's neat how like your dad didn't pressure pressure you, you know, to take over, but you were kind of groomed along the way and you didn't know it. And then it was your choice, right? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think, you know, dad had thought about selling it. That's one of the things that I put to rest as soon as I became the CEO is that he had looked at selling it in 2014 and 2016. And it just, you know, for many reasons we didn't sell. One of the big reasons is that we're in Moriarty, New Mexico and you know, we have 30 employees now. Um, that's the most we've ever had. But, you know, that's 30 families that, you know, sure, maybe they could work at Walmart or something if we left. But we take that very much to heart. And so we knew if we ever sold, they're not going to stay in Moriarty, New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Going to send it somewhere else. And then these these families that have dedicated, you know, decade, some of them a decade and more to our to our growing our company, we just leave in the in the large, we don't want to do that. Yeah. So that was part of me coming in and just settling everything that we're just going to do this. We're doing this until nobody wants to buy grips anymore. <laughs> no, no, I love that though. There's like 0.0001%. I think of companies out there that really care about their employees like that. I mean, I've, I've never seen that company culture except for at a few businesses and it's really powerful. That speaks volumes. So, yeah, well, we try, I mean, you know, just like any family, you know, we, we work at communicating and being effective and being, you know, we're really big on, um, especially when creativity and innovation, we have to all be respectful of each other's viewpoints because, um, you know, not one person knows everything and not one person is, is the only person who's making ideas come to come about in this industry and in this, in this organization. So, we do a lot of brainstorming, you know, we do team management. I'm the CEO, but I mean, I've got a great group of individuals that, you know, run this company on a daily basis. And I respect each one of them for what they bring to the table. And uh, we've worked really hard to make it that people want to come work here. You know, we, um, when COVID hit, you know, we didn't lose people because they didn't leave us, you know what I'm saying? Um, because they're, they consider us family. So they, you know, a lot of their neighbors and stuff were just staying at home and doing whatever. And they were coming to work every day. And because they look at this, like their family and their company, and if they don't come to work, then, and they don't, 
things don't get out the door, then ergo doesn't succeed. And, and then that is there, they're, they're reflective of that success, you know? Absolutely. Their hard work. Once it's gone, yeah. there would be nothing to come back to. So I'm yeah. curious, Will, no. a lot of people go to school and do what they went to school for. Were you one of those people that actually went to school for what you're doing now? <laughs> or how did that come about? No. No. <laughs> uh, so I, I grew up in the, sh in the shooting sports. Uh, we've already covered that. And then I grew up in the machining industry. My grandfather is a machinist. He has his own shop. And my father was a gunsmith. So he obviously did machining in relation to guns. Um, and when I left to go to school, I had no interest in any of that. Um, and I, I told myself, I said, I'm going to go uh, get a criminal justice degree. I'm going to go do some law enforcement work, you know, something that would take me away. And uh, things changed. <laughs> um, you know, like I said, I met Steve. Uh, initially, when I met him, he met me in the shooting sports. Uh, I was local to him. He uh, liked me, I guess. And initially, he was sponsoring me. He would sponsor me for a match or he would sponsor a match that I would compete in for him. And uh, I really liked him and I really liked his mission. And one day he said, hey, you've got, you've got a little bit of experience with some of the stuff. Do you think you can come in and, and, and help work in my machine shop? Maybe, maybe help run it. And uh, I, I said, yeah, I'll help you out for a little bit. I figured maybe, maybe six months, maybe a year. And then I'll go find something. And I just, I just fell in love with this place. Uh, I fell in love with the people and the work. And it's, it's an incredible industry to be in. And uh, they've given me great opportunity. And I, I'm extremely grateful for it. I, I couldn't see myself anywhere else. That's so cool. That doesn't happen either. I feel like these days either where uh, people stay in an industry for longer at a business or a company, right? It's kind of unheard of, I guess, for my generation to stay with a company that long, right? <laughs> yeah, we know we're constantly fighting against that. You know, uh, the grass is always greener for sure for some of the certain uh, people are brought up that way. And we definitely work towards, we put people where we think they're going to work out best. Yeah. And um, if, if, if somebody's not working out in this area, maybe we'll try them in another area until we get a good fit for them so that they are bringing the best to the table on their end, but they're also happy, you know, as well. So, but no, I mean, um, you know, it's, he's, he's not even joking. I mean, cause um, Will's seen a lot of things in this, in this company in the last 10 years. And um, there's some people that didn't weather the storm like he did. And some people really, the really loyal people, and I'm not saying, not, I'm not trying to diss other people because people make decisions for their own reasons. But, you know, some people really stood by because they believed in dad and they believed in the company and, and they, you know, some things, other people just, you know, they cut bait because it was, maybe there was something that wasn't going on that was the greatest or something. And we've worked at getting a lot of that stuff cleared out and streamlined and things like that. Um, like I said, we really worked hard on our culture that, you know, we don't sit around in meetings and cuss at each other. Like that doesn't happen. Yeah. We don't sit there and have somebody that says, oh, that's a stupid idea. I can't believe you didn't even think about that. You know, we don't talk to each other that way. And we have a culture that people coming in don't talk to each other that way. I mean, we have disagreements, we have misunderstandings and we work through them, but we, we have a level of respect and uh, for each other and what, 
the different values that people bring to each other's to to different ideas and things like that. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, I, I'm a millennial, but I'm not the millennial typical person that doesn't work. So that's why I brought that up because I feel like so many people just bounce around, bounce around thinking the grass is greener and it's not. So that's why I was intrigued by that. And um, actually, Will, do you want to speak to like how people can maybe go into a trade, right? Or, or learn a skill, right? Do something with their hands instead of going the typical education route. Like, why is that important? So... It's, it's interesting. So when I was growing up, everybody told you, you got to go to college. You got to go to college. You got to do it. Uh, no matter what, you got to do it. Get that bachelor's. Um, college is valuable, but it's not the end all be all. It's not the, it's not the secret key to, to life. And the trades are incredible. It doesn't matter what trade you get in, especially you know, even if you just want to be in the firearms industry, um, you could be a machinist, you could be a tool and die maker, you could know injection molding, you could know 3D printing, like there's all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and the most important thing is to get involved. Uh, whether that means you go to your local community college and you take some classes, or you find a shop and you say, hey, are you hiring apprentices? Uh, a lot of the machining industry for the last 50 years has been apprenticeship programs. Um, they bring you in, you get an entry-level job, they build up your knowledge base, they build up your skills, and then you rise uh, through the ranks. And a lot of people don't even realize that something like that exists anymore. Uh, but practically any place that does any kind of manufacturing, that's what they do. Um, you want to work for a place that makes plastic and rubber goods? There's a molding shop there. You can get a job. You can learn the trade. Um, they can make you, anybody is capable of being a master at a, at a given trade, but you have to have a willingness to learn. And in times like right now, especially like in the last 20 years, you have to have the willingness to uh, adapt and learn the new stuff, the new processes, the new techniques. Um, there's a lot of places, uh, not specifically in the firearms industry, but in the manufacturing and machining industry, that when the early 2000s, mid 2000s hit, they completely flopped because they refused to get involved in CNC machining in the 90s. They refused to get involved in additive manufacturing, 3D printing, um, which is really the forefront of where a lot of this stuff is going. Um, you know, they refused to get involved in uh, CAD design. You know, that was a big part of when I started working with Steve is he didn't have the knowledge base to do 3D modeling on the computer. Uh, I had some, enough that we could get some stuff made and start designing things. Um, but for example, he sent me to classes. He said, hey, there's these programs, uh, you should go to them. And it, it gave me an incredible opportunity to learn an amazing skill. And then it helped all of us in the long run here. Um, but the most important thing is somebody wants to get involved in the trades is get involved um, in any way, shape or form. The, the, the community colleges are good. They can give you a lot of information. They're not the end all be all. Um, you still have to show some sort of aptitude and some sort of drive to actually have somebody pick you up and bring you into their shop. Uh, but like I said, like apprenticeship is is probably one of the best ways to learn. Um, you know, I, I grew up working in my grandpa's shop and he already had, you know, 
30 or 40 years of experience under his belt the day I walked in. Um, so from day one, I'm getting a lifetime worth of experience thrown right in front of me. And I did my best to try to utilize that, uh, try to absorb that. And, and as time went on, utilize it in my own way as things change. Yeah. Um, but it's an incredible opportunity for anyone. So if you could tell your younger self, like advice when you were starting out, um, would you have taken more classes? Would you have watched more YouTube? Would you have like maybe failed more, right? To, to really learn, like, what would you say to, you know, the early you? You know, I think I got in right about the perfect time. Um, that said, there was more. I probably could have done, uh, probably could have worked more at my grandpa's shop, maybe longer. Um, you know, when I was working for him, it was because I wanted to have some money. I wanted to have some extra money. You know, I'm just a kid, just a teenager. And the idea of having to work any more than I needed to wasn't, wasn't very appealing. I wanted to go out. I wanted to go do things. Um, and I probably could have doubled my time in his shop uh, had I you know, dug deep and decided, hey, go into the mall and walking around for a couple hours is after, you know, that has no value. Right. Um, you know, that that extra work early on would have helped me uh, in the future because all said and done, I just had to make up for that lost time. Yeah. You know. I was going to say the one thing that a lot of us, uh, or a lot of people don't do is uh, invest in themselves and invest in themselves doesn't necessarily mean to like go out and start a business, but Hey, read a book, take a class. Like you said, spend time with um, an apprenticeship or someone that you can learn from. So even this podcast for me is investing in myself because I'm learning so much right now. <laughs> like, this is really cool. Um, that speaks volumes though. Well, it's really cool. So do you want to talk, uh, Mira, about your law enforcement background too? So, you know, coming in with that knowledge into a company and a company, like you're saying, that really takes that feedback, um, you understood kind of the end user for military and law enforcement in terms of ergo and not just grips, but other products. Um, so can you take time or how do you take time to learn from those customers for what they're needing? Well, I think one of the biggest things, I mean, a, a huge thing we did to be able to interface with our customers more efficiently. And as we started a help desk ticket program, and so since January of this year, we started it last year, but uh, very end of last year, but we've done 2,100 tickets to date. So we get a lot of people and I, in the beginning, I was uh, looking, I, I looked at every single one until, until we passed it off. So I didn't necessarily answer every single one, but um, and then, you know, that helped everybody because um, if we had a question that Will answered, um, one of the other people maybe would ask Will and they would get the information for the ticket, but we'd also, we can read what Will has written in those tickets and says, oh, that's a common question. So now we all know the answer to it. And so that was huge for me because um, we do get sometimes from Instagram and Facebook, but we get a large amount of questions, feedback, technical issues, things like that. People, sometimes it's just like the torque of something, what they need to know. We've been starting these new YouTube videos. We try to put out one a month at least to give user-friendly information about how to install this, how to install a stock adapter, how to um, measure the, um, the Mossberg. Yeah, measure like a 
uh, we make a rail system for Mossberg shotguns and Remington shotguns, and uh, it replaces the handguard. And on the Mossbergs, they're two different sizes, so people have to measure what's called the slide action tube. And if you tell somebody on the phone, hey, you got to measure the slide action tube, they're they're gonna they're gonna think you're crazy because <laughs> they don't know what that is. So you know, uh, we've been slowly over the years uh, developing resources for people. So now we have a picture of what a slide action tube looks like. How can you access it? How do you measure it? What's the specific way to measure it? Because that's why we developed our plug is that, you know, I started counting how many requests we've got for. So we just came out with the uh, Tactical Deluxe plug this last year. And, um, you know, it was the most successful rollout of a product we've ever had um, because we just constantly got requests, 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 like 40 a month. Like, when are you going to come out with a plug for that? When's the plug coming out? So it's something we didn't think a lot of, but a lot of people want it. Um, you know, one of the next things we're looking at is the palm shelf plug. It's not something that we as shooters feel is important, but other people do, whether they want to keep debris out, whether they want to have that extra absorption when they're laying it on a platform. Um, whatever the situation is, there's some kind of need because people keep asking us for it, you know. So we we look at all that. Other than the that's been huge for us, and of course our social media platforms, because um you know, people are very um, upfront about that and they'll say things good and bad very openly. So that's great to hear and figure out well, if they're saying that, where's it coming from? Uh, but other than that, we go to trade shows. Uh, you know, we go to NRA when they have it. <laughs> we go to the SHOT Show. <laughs> you know, the, the trade shows are, are so important and, and some consumers may not realize how important it is for the manufacturers of products because uh, NRA, for example, is a beautiful consumer. opportunity to us, for us to be consumers, yeah. thousands of them. And I can't tell you how many people come by and they either have nice things to say about the product or they have a suggestion for a new product or a modified product that we, we never thought of. And it's an incredible amount of information that we can gain from people. Um, by being able to go to the trade shows. And we've not been able to do that for uh, two NRA shows and, and a SHOT show so far. Um, you know, so currently what we're doing is, is we send people to shooting events if we can. Mm -hmm. um, we send people to, uh, if a gun shop has an anniversary event going on or a, a grand opening or something like that, we send people um, because that's where you're gonna meet your consumers, the real people that actually buy your product. Right. Um, it's good to know your dealers and your distributors, and it's good to have relations with them, but they are the actual consumer. Right. Um, the, the consumer is buying your product for a specific reason, and it's great to know that reason. Uh, and if they're not buying your product, they're also not shy about letting you know that reason, too, which is also excellent information. Yeah. yeah. Biggest thing, reason we find people are not buying Ergo is that they don't know about Ergo. And that seems so baffling to us since we've been here 23 years. But, you know, the reality is getting our names out there more, getting um, more people aware of who we are. We're American made. We're, you know, family run business. We're um, dedicated to high quality. And so we see that, you know, we call them Ergo converts. You know, they, they, they find us somehow, maybe a, an influencer or somebody puts something on their grip and then they, they love it and they put one on every, every gun they have or every, that, that we have a grip for. 
um, every rifle basically. So we, we carry a few handgun grips, but mainly rifles. But, um, you know, and that's how we see things grow is, is through people coming up to us and, and finding us at the show and they go, man, I, I've never seen you guys in a, a store. And like, well, where do you live? Oh, we live in New York, you know? Yeah. It's like, well, we, yeah, we don't have a lot of dealers in New York, but, you know, we'll try to, we have, you know, people can call us and try to find a dealer in their area. We have an online uh, database that we try to keep up to date. And so, but they can always order directly from us too. We have our e-commerce site. Yeah, I think it's um, not difficult, but it's a challenge sometimes getting the product in someone's hands because once they put in their hands, you're sold. And I can't wait to talk about my favorites uh, coming up, but that's it. That's a huge thing is they don't realize how much a grip angle or grip texture or finger grooves. I mean, it changes the game. <laughs> and like you said, I think I have the same stuff on every gun or have the same product I use in every gun just because I find what works. I'm like, done. <laughs> That's it, right? Do you see that with customers? Like, do you have like diehards, you know, customers that will always use you, always put in orders and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. They, they send us messages on Instagram and um, you know, they're really, they'll tag us in other posts and people say, what should I get for this? And they go, you know, you need to get a tactical deluxe ergo grip, you know, game changer, like you said. So, um, and then our shooters, we have, we have like four competitive shooters and a couple recreational shooters. And so, um, you know, we just picked up a shooter out of California, uh, a lady shooter. And so, Things like that definitely get our name to other markets other than just New Mexico, because we do sponsor. We have a budget every year of sponsoring events and we, we don't have a geographic restriction in the US. I mean, we don't generally sponsor overseas, but you know, we've done Alabama, New Hampshire, California, I mean, Texas. I always tell people, get your stuff in the beginning because we do get it filled up oh, yeah. you know, the first few people want to send us like a week before the event like yeah it's probably not going to happen but um but yeah when we we have you know some of our regular stuff that we sponsor every year um you know big sponsor rocky mountain three gun up in raton in new mexico and um so there's some things that we want to support the shooting sports and that's like will said the other way that we get our people out there they come up and talk to us or we have a booth set up and they can pick up a rifle and take a rail cover on and off to see how you can change it or remove it with the pick tool and they can do different things with it so that they can get that hands-on and all the shows always have guns that people can pick up and yeah. um you know they're they're rendered safe and everything like that but that's huge to get it in people's hands absolutely i've seen i think every single three gun match i've been to i pick something off the table it has ergo on it and i love it um <laughs> So uh, actually, I actually want to talk about the product process too. Um, so when you guys, like you said, you would mold and use clay and all of that and come up now, if you guys have, have an idea for a new product, um, can you speak to what the prototyping process like looks like and the design process and all of that that you go through? So we still stick to our roots a little bit. There's always a pound of modeling clay in the back um, because some ideas can't, easily translate to a drawing on a piece of paper. But the grassroots process of a new product is still 
something like something drawn on a piece of paper, a sketch, um, something that somebody made out of uh, clay or, uh, you know, whatever. We got all kinds of creative people here. Uh, just amazing. We, we have one lady here. Uh, she could draw you a new product in PowerPoint. Wow. Um, it's, you know, j just an amazing uh, pool of talent that we have. So we don't really limit, like, especially like in the, in the conception phase of uh, what a product is going to be, what it's going to look like. We don't, we don't limit anybody. Any idea is welcome, whether it's just a little uh, sketch on a, on a napkin. I mean, there's product that we offer right now where the only thing I had to go off of uh, was a napkin that Steve slid onto my desk and said, I, I think this is a good idea. Let's work on this. You know, um, we try not to limit ourselves, but uh, typically we, we get together if we're having a purpose-driven meeting and we kind of think tank uh, and that involves just about everybody you can imagine in the company. Uh, you know, the sales team, the marketing team, R&D people, myself, all the way up to the top brass, um, because we don't want to exclude anybody. And sometimes an idea even comes all the way down from the assembly floor, from the machine shop floor. Uh, and we try to include all these. And so we think, think about an idea. Is there a problem that needs a solution? Is there a product that we think uh, fits well in the market? And we discuss what the mission is going to be for that specific product. And then we kind of will individually conceptualize. Sales will kind of take their own approach at it. I'll put some, some time towards it. Uh, and then eventually we'll converge and we'll kind of look at everybody's stuff and we'll think tank again and say, okay, well, we really like this, don't like this. We can make this work. This really isn't possible. And then we get a better idea of, of the function beyond the form. And then we actually take it to 3D modeling. We, we go into SolidWorks, uh, draw it out, get it rendered. Um, often we'll 3D print just about anything, unless it's super convenient to just machine. We, we, have, uh, we have 3D printers here. We have access to 3D printers all over the country that can do anything from rubber to metal. Um, and we'll have some prototypes, either we'll make them ourselves on our printers or on our machines, or we'll have them made and brought in. Um, if it's something that can, if it's, if it's prototyped in a material that is suitable for the environment we intend it to be in, then it immediately goes to the range. Um, and we, we take a group of people to the range. Uh, and basically, we just want, first off, does it feel right? If it's uh, something like we, we, we make angle grips for uh, key modern M-lock, um, that's a very ergonomic driven item. And I can't tell you how many I made out of plywood uh, before we found the magic angle that worked for everybody. Right. So we, we probably spent three months just making plastic and uh, wood angle grips until we found one that everybody was like, hey, you know what, I, this feels natural to me. I think I can, I can immediately grab the rifle, shoulder it, and it feels good. Um, then we took it to an aluminum prototype. And then uh, once we have a good feel for uh, fit and form, then we go into uh, the functioning as far as what kind of environment is it going to be exposed to and can it survive that? Um, if it's a mechanical component of a firearm, like a gas block, for example, you know, what's the worst possible scenario it's going to be under? Well, it's going to be under constant 
fully automatic fire endlessly hundreds upon hundreds of rounds so we go out we take one of the machine guns and and we go to the range with a bunch of ammo what a horrible um, birthday that sounds like yeah it's actually it's funny because it's a lot more labor intensive <laughs> than anybody thinks because what's really fun is we always try to take somebody new to the range especially if we're shooting one of the machine guns because they're like yeah yeah that's awesome machine gun and then when you realize 90% of your time is loading magazines, they're like, oh, I'm, like I'm, I'm tired, my fingers hurt, I'm all sweaty. They're like, yeah, but we're only halfway through the ammo. We got to keep going, you know? Yeah, like five uh, minutes of, of loading is like hmm, 10 seconds of shooting. Exactly. So uh, if, if it's something like that, it you know, goes to the range for a torture test like that. Um, if it's a uh, accessory item, so a grip, uh, rail cover, something like that, it goes through other trials. Um, anything from being left out in the sun for a couple of weeks to see if it cracks or peels or gets brittle, um, which hasn't been an issue in a long time because we we really got our, our materials down pretty well for that, but we still do it. Um, you know, friction testing, abuse testing, impact testing. Um, yep putting stuff in the freezer, Put leaving stuff, stuff outside. Freezer, submerging <laughs> it in water. Um, you know, sometimes depending on what the product is, we, we, we put a product in a vice and, and beat on it with a hammer to oh, see, well, how much abuse can it take? Um, you know, we, we try to not only duplicate any kind of real world conditions, but exceed them uh, to the point of abuse because the last thing we want is any kind of our product to fail under normal use. Yeah. Uh, because we have an incredible amount of, of product and gear that's fielded either in a military application or a law, enforce, law enforcement application, uh, not even accounting for self-defense applications. Um, you know, something like uh, an AR-15 is becoming more commonplace for people to use uh, for self-defense, especially for their home. And we want to be able to guarantee that that product is not going to fail you at the most critical, at the most critical moment. Yeah. 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 So but one of the things that we take a look at though, that, that was huge for our company was the cost of goods sold. And so that's really big in the beginning is that, is this going to be worth it? Are we actually going to have, be able to make a margin that's worth it? And we actually discontinued some items when we first, we converted over, in 20, early 2020 to cost of goods sold for each, each item that we put out. And we said, that's, we're not making money on that. So we discontinued a few things, so. Yeah, I mean, you. Yeah, we're not the type of company, there, there's several companies out there, especially in the firearms industry. And not to say that they don't make good equipment, but they make, let's say they make something similar to what we make. It's uh, let's say it's a M-Lock QD attachment point for a sling. Uh, we, when we approached a product like that, we said, okay, well, what is a viable price for the market to support? Uh, we need to make a living, but we're not trying to put people in the poorhouse over buying uh, something that is less than one ounce that can fit in the palm of their hand. Um, where some companies, they don't really view that as an important feature uh, so they'll bring a product to market regardless of what it is, and it's a hundred dollars when everything else on the market is thirty-five dollars. So my price um, use is it has to be the right product for the right price. It might be the right product, but it's not the right price for me. Like 
there are realistic expectations. I mean, when I shoot, of course, three gun, I use my stuff, but I'm also not going to buy the premium model that say it does the same effect as this really good quality model, just the same. So like you're saying, that does exist. That is real. <laughs> right. And, and it's a delicate balance because we want to offer something that will survive the lifespan of the owner and the firearm. Um, but we also want it to be viable in the market and we want to be able to have all of our products available to any person that would ever wish to have them. Um, we don't want to have a product line where only, only people with extreme amounts of expendable income can have them, um, you know, because it's not just a matter of making money. Um, it's a matter of being able to support the communities that make us money. I mean, that, that's the short and the long of it. The consumer is, uh, they're the people that take care of us. Uh, our law enforcement end users, our military end users, our government end users, our civilian end users, all those people are the reason why we're still here. Are you sure you didn't go to business school? <laughs> I'm loving this. Maybe, maybe I should have. Maybe it would have at least helped me a little bit here. Who knows? <laughs> like, this is awesome. Okay, so yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So people don't know that you're like, you rebranded, which is awesome, going with Ergo instead of Ergo Grips. And I think that's something that a lot of companies need to go in and look back on. Because a lot of people don't know, you have a gamut of AR-15 accessories and parts and armor tools. So who the heck came up with the Ergo Pick Tool? Because I have to know this has saved my entire life building rifles. It's my favorite tool in the world. In the world. <laughs> so the Ergo Pick Tool... I don't have the official story on the Ergo Pick Tool. It was a it was in existence when I started, but also that item has changed about three times since I've been here. Uh, best guess yeah. it was it was uh, something Steve came up with um, at the time when when something like that was going on. Yeah. He was really the the mastermind behind a lot of that. And when we designed or we when he designed it, it was a general tool. Uh, from his experience as a gunsmith, um, he viewed it as a, a non-marring a non uh, drift punch and a non-marring pry bar. And then when I got brought on board, I looked at it and I thought, that's awesome, but we can add like another feature to it. So we added, we had made the round part of the pick tool a little longer and we added the little hole that can be used as a, a, a detent install tool, precisely. A game changer. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And, and what the main reason we did that is we, we as people that build guns and gunsmiths ourselves, um, we bought all these specialty tools to build AR 15 lowers. And I had a detent installation tool that I got from like somewhere, uh, probably Brownells or something. And it was like $25. Ooh. And I'm like, it's a stick with a hole going through it. And it didn't really make much sense. So when we thought about remaking the pick tool, we're like, it's right there. We just have to, we just have to utilize it. Um, so it, it added another function to it. Uh, but even then, like, there's all the things that we use the pick tool for, but we discover a million different ways to use it yeah. when we go out and we meet people um oh, yeah. you know one of the a big eye-opener for me was uh some years ago i took an armorer's class with uh double star and yeah <laughs> uh, 
we, we had taken some of those pick tools to give out to the class because we had just integrated that feature for the D10 installation. And we were super excited about it. And I, I went and I think Nick was giving the class and um, I'm like, hey man, yeah, we just added this new feature. You know, we, we, we really want, you know, want everybody in the class to have one, you know? And he's like, oh, that's the handguard removal tool. And I'm like, what? The, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and he's, he says, no, it's for removing plastic handguards from a, from a rifle. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So he grabs a rifle, jams that thing in there, smacks it down, handguard pops off. Oh yeah. And I'm like, man, I have, I have another $30 tool from Brownells that does the, does the same thing. And it was 30 bucks. And, and this, you know, uh, had no idea you could utilize the tool like that. Um, we were, it's, it's my favorite thing is when we go to NRA to the NRA annual meeting and we meet people because we'll often give those away at the, at the booth and somebody will come by and say, Hey, can I get one of those pick tool things? Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, why are you, why are you so hot about it? Oh man, I use it to, you know, I use it to do this special thing with this little park that I work with and my son uses them to pry his Legos apart <laughs> and my wife has for working on her nails or something I'm like just blown away by the the endless <laughs> amount of uses for that for that item yeah there's a similar product called the sputter in uh, electronics that you could use it for that as well so yeah electronic spudger yeah spudger yeah yeah right. so it's um we, it's one of our next videos I think it's in the queue at one after next that all the things you can do with the pig tool so um the problem why it's taken so long is that um we keep coming up with more ideas. Yeah, the, the actual video may end up being a series. <laughs> because so yeah. we sit down and we're up down and then somebody will say, oh yeah, I use it for this. And it's like, <laughs> no, I don't know that one yet. So, okay. Um, an incredibly versatile little device. We're glad that you like it. <laughs> I love it. Okay, and that's so cool. You took the class at Double Star. I took their class and like, Nick, oh yeah, this is mine forever. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> Um, the other one, which I had had before is like the, and I forgot the name, so you, y'all probably can educate me, but I stick this into my, my lower and like the lower and the upper on the rifle doesn't wiggle. It takes all of that play out of it when they're not trued up. Remind me of this. Yeah. The AR wedge. wedge. Yeah. Wedge. Yeah. Game changer. <laughs> Simple stuff that we, it goes back to, there's no stupid ideas, right? It's stupid because it's so simple and we should have thought of it beforehand, but it's not dumb in the application. Yeah. yeah, so like the AR wedge, the old method that I learned um, was in the Marine Corps, um, guys were told they, they had these really sloppy, you know, they're all, all the contract guns that the military uses, they're very sloppy guns. Um, and when guys would go to qualify, they'd be bothered by something like that because, you know, you want to shoot for a high score. And so what they would do is they would actually take the uh, cloth medical tape and wrap it around the rear lug of the upper receiver until, the, the re until it barely fit into the lower receiver. And then they would cut a hole into the tape for the pin and then close it um, and then run the pin through. And that works, but that's really not a great solution and it's not a permanent solution. Um, yeah. And it's really, it's really not safe either because you know you take something like cloth tape it's got all these fibers these cotton fibers in it those can break free they can fall into your fire control group they can cause malfunctions they can cause unsafe conditions um 
it's not, it's it was it was a solution with people utilizing what they had available uh, because they had a need, but the AR wedge is the correct solution for that. Um, and you know, the AR wedge, uh, a lot of people don't realize when they're installing it, a lot of folks will say, well, I can't close the upper and lower together. It's actually too tight now and I can't close them together and push the pin through, but you can actually take the bottom of the AR wedge and slice a little bit off of it, like with an X-Acto blade or something and make it just a touch shorter um, to actually get a perfect fit. So it's actually made to be customized to your, to your receivers, not necessarily a drop-in uh, fix for everything. Right, right. Yeah, and that's one of the big things with a lot of our, um, like our rail covers and things like that, you can trim all of them. So some people have a little bitty section of Picatinny rail, they can put just that on if there's just two slots that need to be covered. And so um, we, uh, things like that, is, you know, from being shooters ourselves, we found that, oh yeah, let's do this, do that, tweak that, so. But yeah, the AR wedge comes in. We we changed it this year to three pack. We sell a single pack and three pack because we're finding that most people buy multiple ones. So we just let's just make a three pack so they can just buy it all. They save a little bit of money that way too. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I've got rifle, PCC, all of all of the guns, the backup rifle. Goodness. So yeah. And, and when you find a product like I said that works, that goes in everything. Done. <laughs> Check yeah. Out. Just makes your life easier. <laughs> So that's the thing. You guys have this like work smarter, not harder mentality. Um, like 22s, I know you make the, the key ring like mini mag loader and unloader. And pe people I see struggle pulling the pins down on the side or whatever to load the magazine for 22s. And, and this tool just does it without effort. I mean, it's brilliant. <laughs> well, I, my dad's mom always said that he was a genius. So he may, I think he very well may have been, but we're hoping to carry that on. Uh, my, my son loves to do R&D also, and, and then him and Will are, are some of the main people behind R&D. So they're constantly coming up with new ideas. Like I said, um, we get a lot of people that come to us with ideas, but they don't realize um, even customer requests that how long it takes to, uh, you know, amortize a, a mold, you know, or to make that money back. and so. Oh, yeah. It's it's a big process. To, there's some there's lots of great ideas, but we it has to be uh, you know profitable too. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah, that could take a long time. Um, and going back but, to the shows, I mean, if so, say shot show doesn't happen again, which I hope it doesn't, because I booked my hotel. But um, say it doesn't happen again, and maybe NRA goes virtual if they ever have it again. What are some things that the community could do if you don't have that to kind of help you guys get your name out there? Like, how could we support you guys? That's hard to say. Yeah, it's uh, finding any kind of way to supplement missing shot show is extremely difficult. Um, you know, because you can produce like web content for shot show. I know a company, a couple companies did that last year, and they were they were good, they were effective, but it's really difficult to draw somebody to you. You know, because um, we're thinking that possibly if uh, SHOT Show is canceled, but we're going to produce quite a bit of uh, web content and maybe have some live chat available yeah. um, for our target markets. But uh, reaching the masses is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, you know, the, like the people that follow us on social media, they're, they're, they're awesome people. 
but they are already people that know about us because they found us and they're following us. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things we do shot of the week on Instagram and then we, we carries over to Facebook. And so if people tag us in their photos and we not, you know, we get one really cool picture every week and then we make it the shot of the week. So tagging us, um, posting, reposting our posts, sharing our posts. The other thing people can do is if you can't get Ergo Grip in your local shop, ask them why. Uh, try to get them to start carrying it. Um, we have a company here that has a few places and they, they buy all of our accessories, but for some reason they don't buy our grips. And we constantly have customers telling them, uh, one of them's by an Air Force base and they say, you know, we constantly need we're getting requests. So, you know, we've been trying to get that buyer to start getting the grips in there. So bugging the buyers, telling them, hey, you need Ergo over here. It's Ergo is really big right now. And if people don't have it in a shop, especially by Black Friday, they're going to be missing out on sales for the Christmas push. So I think just people on the ground, there's some areas that we're not very big in. We don't know why. Um, well, some of them we know why, because uh, ARs aren't very big in some of these states, but, um, but if people are asking for them, people, our reseller portal is awesome because once you sign up, you can order 24 seven and we have no minimums. So if you've got a lady that comes in and she's like, I want a Robin egg blue and purple AR, that boutique gunsmith or that small shop can order just for that build. And they don't have to order anything else from us. We have reasonable shipping cost, and it's a great way if people don't want to carry the product on the, the shelves, they can still do special orders. That's unheard of almost. <laughs> That's unheard of. So what is your number one selling yeah. product out of curiosity? Oh, go ahead. What's our what? Uh, we do, what I was going to say is we just try to take care of every customer that we have at every level. Um, you know, the brick and mortar stores, uh, they're the forefront for people being able to see our product to get it in their hands and things like that. And the last thing we would want to do is uh, not make getting Ergo Grip products as easy as possible for them. Right. But yeah, my, my question was just, what is the number one selling product? Is it still the like original Ergo Grip? Um, I, I'll have to send you the flyer. We have the top seven, um, let's see. So they're all grips. Um, I think 4009, the 4011s on there, those are both, they, they look identical. They just have different textures. The 4045, which is our uh, tactical deluxe grip is on there. The castle nut is in our top seven. Um, our 4373 rail covers, the three pack black, they're all black, they're the, our top sellers. Um, we do have 15 colors total for our line and, and different products that you can get, but and um, yeah, there, I think there's in the top 10, I think there's seven grips. Wow. And or even eight, so. Yeah, typically for number one is the classic Ergo grip, um, whether it be the regular texture or the aggressive texture, um, they kind of fight for first all the time. If you, if you included them together as just the classic Ergo grip, it is number one. Um, and then, like Mira was saying, our Tactical Deluxe has been fighting for number the number two slot for quite some time. It was a grip that wasn't inherently popular upon its release. 
because um, it's almost as old as the classic ergogriff, um, but it really never gained a lot of traction. And I think its usage in things like uh, uh, PRC and three gun, uh, three gunners love the tactical deluxe. And I think as people started to see those fielded more often, it actually uh, really helped that product surge. So it went from like maybe 20th in our product line to second in a couple of years. Yeah, and all of our hand grips are the more popular than the palm shelf grips, but like the Tactical Deluxe comes with the palm shelf. It's a different product code, but you know, um, but yeah, we, it, it, it was so fat. People thought it was really fat in the beginning. And so, but now even people that have smaller hands, I'll, you know, say, is that not too much for you? Like, no, 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 because, um, you know, that was kind of the complaint in the beginning. It's like, oh, that's too much of a grip for me, you know, but people, for some reason, it just seems to have really grown in popularity. It's our number one seller online, but it's, but it's like a number two or three, depending on, on how you quantify, like I said, what the, like you said, with the different um, textures, if it's two or three, depending. But um, but that's and like I said, that's when we came out with the plug recently, and people just, you know, they just love it. But we also do um, every year we're doing a different uh, limited run in that color. We did the purple. We called it a uh, we can't say the name, but it's a really big purple guy in the Disney franchise. Uh, that that grip, <laughs> and uh, so and then we did a limited run of robin egg blue, and we did like a a thing online to get people's feedback on what color they want. Right now, red and blue are really hot for whatever reason we're doing. We we have 15 colors, like I said, in our rail covers and the 4010, the um, A2 grip. We, we run different colors in the A2 grip. And we do limited ones in the uh, Tactical Deluxe, but still our standard, the biggest sellers and color is black and then darker. So the bougie side of all that comes from the competitive shooters. I have seen <laughs> some steel nodding. So like steel challenge, I've seen the kiddos run it, love it. And they've got to have their purple. They've got to have their greens. I've seen the pinks. I've seen it all. And <laughs> I'm a blue. Everything's blue. My truck is blue. It's just all going to match. So, <laughs> I uh, love You know, we're, we're into it. We just came out with a new gray color because we have this, we have this graphite gray that's very dark. And we came out with this kind of, it's like a wolf gray. Um, and it's such a lot lighter. And so now we're seeing people, they buy both grays and they're putting it on the same gun, like this, you know, the shades of gray. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, and that's the incredible thing about the AR-15 system is it's 100% customizable, which means it can be personal. Um, it's no different than somebody decorating a room, um, vinyl wrapping their car, you know, these are sporty items and people want them to look sporty. And like a, you, a great example you were saying was uh, steel challenge shooters. Um, <laughs> even way back when I competed in the steel challenge, I mean, I had a, I had a tricked out red and black 1911 that I used to use in the steel challenge. Um, and it wasn't for any particular reason other than it needed to look good on camera, you know? <laughs> um, and that's, that's half the fun, you know? Uh, it, you know, that you think it looks good, that, that you like sharing it with others, you know. Um, and we, we do our best to cater to that. Um, we had, uh, Mira was saying we have several colors uh, for the grips, uh, even more colors for the rail covers. Yeah. Um, well, and you'll see people that'll buy, like, we have an orange grip 
and uh, we were mainly we mainly do it around the fall season uh, it's just coming back out our pumpkin spice grip <laughs> we don't really call it that it's a joke but we um people buy like orange and blue to do broncos colors you know they it's they'll have their bronco ar and we love to be tagging those because we we will repost them but we also sell to spear guns and spear gun companies use our grips and um uh, if you look online they love the colors they get all these weird colors from us like we have zombie green and they order our pinks and purples because they do these really neat epoxy uh in the center of it and so they're always colorful so they match the grips with that love so that that's the great thing about um, coming to our retail side or, or becoming a direct re, uh, reseller with us through the dealer portal is that you can't find, there's not one of our distributors that has every single one of our colors. They don't offer it. So, you know, this distributor maybe has purple and robin egg blue and this, and this one maybe has dark earth OD and coyote brown, yeah. but you can get it directly from us, you know, uh, get a whole royal blue colored line or a royal blue and red, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's the two shooters. It's the uh, the practical. This is a tool that I need to function. And then you've got your yeah. This has to look good. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's it's become very. Like you said bougie. It is bougie. <laughs> um. Okay. Speaking of like the, the industry too, like with with everything going on, like things have been canceled, or also we've seen a surge in sales. So how have you all kept up with supply and demand? Well, we're rolling. Um, you know, we we had a very good reputation and a very good turnaround during COVID and everything. Um, and um, we, oh shoot, are you still there? Can you see us? Yeah. Okay. I think we're gonna run out of juice here in a second. But uh, we were able to, based on um, trying to forecast things, and um, we have a great team. Like I said, we. We had people that, you know, they, they come to work. They, they are not, you know, calling in. They're not, you know, we have really dedicated people. So we have very good turnaround times. And even though during the craziest time we were outside of those, but we're back into that, we were still from what we heard in the industry. We were very, uh, you know, one of the top uh, turnarounds for that. So we just kept trying to um predict what people were going to buy and make sure we had it and we had the staff here to get it ready for them and to get it out in time and and uh you know we really pulled together i just was so proud of our staff during that time they were just really pulled together to make sure that you know we 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 withstood the storm and we did really good in the sense of like um you know last year was one of our best years um but we also did really good in the sense of staying true to our customers and what they expect of our quality of service as important. Yeah, what I'd like to add to that is uh, so our success through these times like this, uh, great demand, uh, low availability for things is credited to our, our mission here. So Mira covered a lot of like our ability to uh, maintain our employees that were incredibly dedicated to our mission and they stuck through it all you know we never had any big problems as far as staffing goes uh workflow availability things like that but also our mission of being an american made company um we do all of our sourcing here in the united states so when all this stuff happened we weren't reliant 
on imports of anything, uh, whether that be plastic goods, metal goods, uh, raw materials, hardware, Screws, yeah. none of that, none of that. Um, and I think if we were reliant on import goods, we would have been in a very bad place uh, mo for most of last year. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible, it's incredible how the United, the industry in the United States was able to step up to the plate for the most part. Some things were slower, but they could provide things. Um, there are specialty items uh, in other markets that are heavily dependent on either import goods or import materials yeah. that, you know, uh, look at like the automotive industry. They can't get chipsets out of Asia and they've been dead in the water for months. Mm -hmm. um, that's not something we ever wanted to get into. Um, and from the very beginning, Steve knew that he couldn't rely on foreign markets. Yeah. Uh, and so from the very beginning, he uh, only wanted to source American goods. And that really helped us through uh, not just this current uh, uh, increase in demand and last year's increase in demand, but all the other times that it's happened before, because it, it happens quite often. Yeah, it's definitely a cyclical, you know. But on the same regard, we, um, we got a very good reputation as well, because we were being told we were the last group to have bulk carrier groups you know we eventually ran out of them as well but um you know people were coming to us and we start we're like we we start looking into it i see all these why are we getting all these uptick in sales in a certain product because you can't find them anywhere else yeah. so i mean we um and you know we we work really hard with all of our resellers to try to right now they're all getting us their orders for their black friday sales all the you know, distributors and dealers, so they have product in their store for their for their people to have a great Black Friday. So that's just starting right now, and and um, it's a delicate balance. But um, we, I, you know, like he was saying, I credit our team that we worked well together. We have really great processes. We we're working on our ISO certification, so we're streamlining all of our processes to make them more efficient, effective, and you know we. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but if it's, you know, we don't believe in the, we don't use the phrase, well, that's how it's always been done. That's just not said around here. We, we say, well, is it effective? Is there use for it? And we'll keep it if it's a good process. If, if it could be done differently, better, streamline for like our military discounts. We streamlined that process this year. We went from about five military discounts a month to we do over 50. And I'm sure we'll continue to increase that because we made it easier for people to get discounts and we hope to keep on making it easier. That's amazing. Made in the USA. If you didn't hear that, people take that away from this. <laughs> Support American-made companies. Um, and actually speaking <laughs> of America, there's a lot that goes uh, on beyond, uh, behind the scenes as well. So like, I don't want to get too much into politics, but you know, how does Ergo support not just the Second Amendment, the shooting sports like you've talked about, but just this in industry in general when we're so, I want to say like silenced and suppressed online? Well, it's it's a hard time um, with some of the the companies that are behind that. Um, but in general, we you know we're very vocal online with legislation, especially locally here. If we've got the legislation that's going through, you know, we we get the word out that people need to talk to their local representatives, uh, talk to their you know the lawmakers in their area if this is going to affect them and it's going to um, hamper their Second Amendment rights in any way. 
that you need to let them know that this is important to you to not have this happen. And so we try to do that. Um, we, we we're not so involved in any of the national organizations at this point, um, but we do things on a local scale more, more. And then we constantly are trying to support like we will do. We support the local, um, like the friends of the NRA dinner, they'll call us and we'll send out uh, product for raffles and things like that. Um, we, whoever gets in contact with us, is, if it's a good cause, I mean, always we look at Second Amendment causes, then we, we try to support it when we can. And um, we are, we do support, um, you know, we're part of the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And so uh, my dad, Sometimes we get into politics, but um, it's just very difficult to get into politics uh, locally because, um, you know, the same person that you are um, campaigning against, then they don't win. And then the person that you campaigned against, they become your regulatory person, you know, whether it's your local mayor or it's your local governor. So you have to be very careful, I think. But, you know, we work with the NSSF. Um, we do local um, events with them and things like that. And um, we, you know, my brother, um, and we're really big into gun safety. My brother was shot in Afghanistan by one of his um, coworkers. And so, but with a loaded gun during a training exercise. So, you know, gun safety is huge for us. And so whether it's educating people with gun safety or, or helping people understand what the second amendment really is about, we're, we love to answer the call for anybody who wants us to help out in, a, in an event or with education in any way. Wow, I don't even know what to say to that, but that's, that's powerful. Um, it is about education. You know, they're tools. They're not, I don't say the word weapon a lot when I talk about firearms because they are a tool. And once you know how to use them, you know, you, you get better. But without getting lazy tactical, either about safety, that's huge. Um, yeah. And he's, he's, He's still alive. I guess I should say that he's he's disabled. He's been disabled since 2005. You know, he had a, a bullet in his in his stomach for years. But um, but it was definitely a, like I said, he was in Afghanistan at the time, and it was a big. I always carried that with me in all of my training with the police department because you know we train sometimes every month. You should be training every month, and um, so it was always really big. For me and even around the shop you know i'm really big on you know all guns are always loaded and um you know even if we've already cleared it even if i don't even like dummy guns pointed at people so um you know because you just never know and it's just better safe than sorry and um you know it did ruin his career in the military so um so we're, we're really big and trying to be i think we'll probably as we get you know, right now we're in a big boom right now and we're really streamlining our processes as a company. But I think that down the road, especially as we're asked to come to the table, we'd love to be a part of the bigger picture with uh, safety and with legislation and, and second amendment and everything that's important, hunting. Um, you know, we're getting more into hunting um, safety. We try to put hunting safety up and supporting hunting in our area in New Mexico and, and uh, you know, a sustainable way for people to, um, it's a sport, but also, you know, people, you know, some people rely on hunting to, um, to bring food to their family in some of these rural areas. Absolutely. So important to us. 
So what do you think the future for Ergo looks like in the future of this industry? Nothing but growth. I mean, we, we live in an incredible time in history. Um, technology uh, is, is advancing at an incredible rate. The, how would I phrase this? The increased interest in firearms ownership and the increased number of owners of firearms is it's going up every year. Um, people are becoming more interested in the industry um, or they're becoming more heavily involved. Uh, it's just, the, these. it's a perfect recipe for innovation and growth for the whole industry. Um, I don't know exactly what the future looks like, but I, it's gonna be incredible. Yeah, we I can guarantee that. You know, so many people, you know, I'm, I don't want to dog on our competitors, but so many people just think there's two dogs in this fight and there's not, you know, so we definitely are knocking on the door and, um, you know, we are, we are, like I said, we, we love to have ergo converts, you know, and people realize that, you know, what we stand for, they want to get behind that. They want to get behind a great product. I mean, um, you should see us in all the major sporting goods stores in the next few years. I mean, um, a lot of that's very political, but a lot of it's consumer driven. So if you're, if you go to a big sporting goods store, you don't see us, ask them why, ask them why there's no ergo here. Um, you know, and so it's, um, you know, we, we want to stand behind our morals. We're not going, you know, we want to be put into stores because people want really great value, great items, a great company. Um, you know, not because we take them out to fly them to this place on our jet and stuff like that. Um, we want it to be because they want to support companies that are really, you know, taking care of their people and, and making a difference and, and really caring about their customers. And so we're going to, we see it every day. We see it. Um, um, we get calls every day from dealers saying, we can't keep your items in stock. We got to get them. We can't get them from the third party anymore. We got to get them directly from you. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to have more and more products. We try different colors and it, it'll work and we, we might not try it again. And we'll, we'll try this weird color. We get all these weird requests like chocolate brown. I don't think we're going to be doing that anytime soon. But, you know, I don't know why people want different colors, but we may try it one day. You never know. Love it. <laughs> but, but we love to try different stuff. And you know what? The only way to succeed is to fail. And so we're not afraid of failure here. We may not do it again. It didn't work out too well, but uh, we tried. And then we're going to go do some different, a different product next time. And that one, we've had some great products that have really taken off more than we ever thought they would because somebody said, hey, let's give it a try. Absolutely. So. I, have one, I have one last question for you. And you kind of touched on it on an organization standpoint. Everyone that owns a firearm is an ambassador for firearms, whether they want to be or not, right? They're a gun owner, they've got a gun. So they're representing the entire you know, community. So how do you, in your opinion, maybe think that we could do better as firearm owners to those that are afraid of them or you know, don't like them as much? Like, how can we be that better party, I guess, or that group of people? I don't know. I think the only thing, it's hard right now because everybody wants free stuff. And they, they will only review things if it's free. And then next week, they're on to another free stuff that somebody gave it to them. And so, you know, like, I would just say, like, you know, maybe let's get back to more like what really people want, like, 
that's really important to them and not just the brand of the week, you know, because you got a free something in the mail. Um, and just, I think that's, cause that's where we see our diehard ergo people that, I mean, there's people have not just my brother, but people have had their grips for 15 years. And you can't say that about a lot of things, you know, maybe you've had a pair of jeans for 15 years, but most things these days, it's hard, you know, they're built to be consumable so that people can continue to make money because they wear out and people can, you know, disposable razors, disposable clothing, so they can continue to make money. And when you make something that lasts, you're taking that into account. And when we are only a dollar cheaper, I mean, a dollar more than our competitor, you got to take that into consideration. Like, you know, what is this company all about? And I think that's where people talking to each other say, not only is it great, it feels great, it's got the bougie colors, but man, you know, my bud that works at the range has had that for 15 years. And it, that says volumes about a company that, and we had this lady, she sent us one of her pink grips back where we didn't even make her send it back to us. She sent us a picture and it was when we were first starting pink. So it was a little off colored, you know, it had faded before we got all the processes down. So we sent her another one. I mean, she's probably had that for 12 years or something. And, uh, you know, sent her another one because we stand behind it. You know, there's people that are going to take their stock and they're going to slam it against the ground to clear a malfunction. And we're not going to cover that because that's not what it was intended for. <laughs> but if you, you know, in the normal course of, of training and, and using it, if you break something, it malfunctions, then we're going to cover it, but not if people modify it and yes. do things weird. We're not going to cover that, but. Love it. We're all <laughs> asshole nuts. That's that's a, a, <laughs> uh, you know, Mira's point about, you know, uh, like the way that we handle the customer service and stuff like that, you know, it's a, it's a type of ownership of what we do and uh, what what we stand by, and that really that really translates into the firearms industry in general. So, you know, a, an individual as a gun owner, uh, in times like right now, people probably want to hide in the shadows. They don't want people knowing that they're a firearms owner, that they're an enthusiast, that they're a competitor, that they're a hunter, whatever it may be. And that's really the wrong way to approach it. Um, you know, uh, people that own firearms should take ownership of that and share it with other people. And use and it say, as an opportunity to educate other people. Exactly. And so, you know, if somebody brings it up and you say, yeah, I, I do own firearms. Are you interested? Or do you have any questions? And instead of just shying away from it, um, expressing what it means to you, whether that be you're a competitor or you own a firearm because you're defending yourself, um, if you, you know, whatever it may be, a hunter. Um, <laughs> the the big thing is is uh, times like right now we're we're in a very interesting situation in this country where firearms ownership is increasing at an incredible rate, but it's also becoming more. Uh, I don't know what the it, it, more taboo basically. Yeah, controversial. Um, yeah, controversial. But in the same regard, is that owning a firearm should not be a political thing. It should. It's. It's not one political party's right to own a firearm. It's an American right. It's the right as you as an American citizen um, to own a firearm, and everyone should embrace that. It shouldn't be this side or that side, and 
Um, you know, because if you're in your house and someone's banging down your door, it doesn't matter who you voted for last election, you need to protect yourself and your family. And that all can go to the wayside. And so that's why we do try to stay out of politics is that it's, it's, it's about gun ownership and it's about second amendment rights. It's not about politics. So, um, but I think we're going to, my phone's going to die. We'll say any final thoughts that you want to leave listeners with and that'll be the end. Well, you know what? We thank you for being uh, an Ergo, building with Ergo. Um, We say that all the time. It's, it's, it's our honor. You, you have made us be able to do what we love to do every day for a living by putting our products on your guns and talking about us at the range and, and spreading the word that we're a great company and trying to be a great company for you and for our employees and everybody. So um, I'm glad you gave us the opportunity to talk about this. And, um, you know, we, we hope to see more and more people sharing and joining us on our communities and sending us help desk tickets and getting involved in, and uh, we'll try to, I mean, every, every ticket will get answered, so. Love it. Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you for having us on. Um, and thank you to, to your viewers uh, for supporting your podcast and raising awareness like you, like you are. And, um, you know, like Mira said, this is an incredible opportunity for us and, and we're incredibly grateful. Um, thank you guys for coming on. I'm humbled. <laughs> what CEO and, and lead machine designer is going to be on a podcast? Like that's, it's unheard of. So thank you for everything you guys do and behind closed doors in front of, you know, clo- uh, open doors, I guess. Um, it's just been amazing. So thank you. Um, and then last question too, how can people find you uh, on social media and your website? If you want to leave people with that. Yeah, we've got a couple of websites. We've got ergogrips.net. Um, that's our main firearms accessories. We also have an air gun line. It's called ergoair.net. Um, we sell those to the European market and to a lot of the markets that are, are ha- don't cannot use regular rifles. So they've switched over to air gun a lot for a lot of the shooting and the hunting. But we also have our um, social media. We have a Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, they all have the same handle, Ergo Grips with an S. And you can send us messages, post, tag us, um, send, give us reviews on Facebook, whatever you'd like to do. And um, then we do have Pinterest. Um, I, we don't, we don't uh, get onto it a lot, but I'm trying to think there's one more. Oh, LinkedIn as well. We're on LinkedIn with same handle, Ergo Grips. I'm on there personally. Um, and most of my managers, I don't think Will is, but most of the managers are on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again. People listening, go follow them and they do respond. And every single piece of content that we can create for these companies on social media goes a long way, especially in or, an organic reach. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. Absolutely. And tune in next week, listeners, for the next uh, episode of the Radical Up podcast. Thanks for listening to the Radical Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Young Kenzie.